Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome, everyone, to the Cultaholic Classic Raw Review. You see, Whilst the main cultaholic lads are discussing the aftermath of Hell in a Cell, where a part-time former champion turned up and illogically ruined the main event, we're back in 1993, fresh off of WrestleMania 9, where a part-time former champion turned up and illogically ruined main event. Uh, and who be we? Well, we be the ones driving this Ica-powered DeLorean. I be the radio-faced fake Geordie, Tom Campbell, and I am joined as always by the bear in the big boo big blue bar cage, which is better than a red L in a cell. Cultaholic's top pen, not a pencil, because he gets it right first time every time. Justin Henry's here. I, I'm speechless after that intro. <laughs> you found, you found that. You found the perfect way to tie in the the first ever post WrestleMania episode of Raw with a Hell in a Cell pay per view from not even 24 hours ago as we record this. And I I found... just report it. I don't make it. <laughs> you found two very interesting parallels there. So good job, man. Thank you. Sometimes I am a nice boy. How are you, Justin? Are you all right? I'm I'm quite well. It's well. We'll get into this show in a moment because this. We'll just say that for the first post-WrestleMania Raw in history, it was, wasn't was quite what you'd expect to have a post-WrestleMania Raw these days. Spoiler, it was well. awful. <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> We've seen worse Raws in, in our run so far, but this was this was the mehest of the meh. <laughs> and, and coming off Hell in a Cell last night, which, which was probably the best main roster show of the year to this point. And possibly even better than one or two takeovers, although that's a very hot take. And if I say that, I'll probably get punched in the mouth. Hot takeover, if you will. (laughs) Classic wordplay. But before we go into any more of that, because obviously we we are not here to talk about 2018. We're here to talk about 1993. Unlike Mark McGuire, we are here to talk about the past. (laughs) Uh, I'd like to say uh, thank you to the gents... And all involved at the broken, bl- the broken but glorious podcast. Another run at that. Uh, we recently found the podcast and binge watched all ten episodes, which is not what I'd wish upon anybody. But you did it, and well done. I feel like you need a sticker. Broken but glorious. So do search them out on Twitter. They're lovely folk. Some sort of like endurance award. Yeah, you need something for that. You can always get in touch with me and uh, Justin Henry. I'm at Tom Campbell on Twitter. He is at JRH Writing. And of course, you can go via at Cultaholic and just say, you know what? I listened to that podcast about Raw from the past and it's all right. Just say that. It's just nice for the others to know that we're doing all right. 
We know it's very hard for some people to admit, and we understand that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but but we're we, we're deeply deeply appreciative of anyone who takes even five minutes to listen to this. Oh yeah, if you've got this far in, then then you're a hero. Thank you so much. <laughs> so Justin, <laughs> let us go back in time to 1993 where are we and when are we justin well the air date was april 5th 1993 which was at one full day after wrestlemania 9 in las vegas however as noted at the end of last week's podcast this was taped 14 days earlier on march 22nd 1993 from the manhattan center in new york city so the first postmania role in history was pre-recorded so this was done before WrestleMania? Yes, the last episode of Raw that we watched, which, what was the main event of that show again? I, I know it had Bartlett at the end with the Rosati's. It was Kamala versus Doink. After that match was filmed, they, they filmed this episode concurrently in the same night. So how do they get around the commentary stuff then? Because this is always an interesting one for me. If I see them ringside and they are blatantly talking well, spoilers... Well, that, that's the thing. We'll, we'll get into the opening part in a moment because that is that is crucial here. I had to make a note about this. But the wraparounds obviously are filmed the night of the filming, March 22nd in this case. But the commentary is done either the day of the roll and, and inserted in or it's done live at 9 o'clock at the studio. The Vincent Savage would have been in the Stanford studios at 9 p.m. Monday night dubbing in the commentary and referencing the events of WrestleMania that were not known 13 days before the pay-per-view. So it's very complex. Right, okay. Okay, because that makes more sense. Um, you can't read, well, to the credit of Savage and Vince, you can't hear where it crosses. And this is one of my bones of contention with NXT, is that you can hear, you can, you can identify the inserts that they do after the fact because their tone is different. Mauro Ronaldo, who is brilliant, his tone shifts when he sat in the studio, and you can hear it. I do have to note my all-time favorite insert on commentary ever, which was it was it was at a show that I was at in my youth, SummerSlam 1990. Do you remember the match? It was Power and Glory versus the Rockers, and Shawn Michaels got hurt. They attacked him before the match with the chain. Yes, yes. Wasn't he injured? He was injured legitimately, so they had to write him out of the match, and that, yeah. was, their, and that was their way of doing it. A friend of mine recorded the show, who actually went to the show with us. He recorded it on pay-per-view that night at his house. He had his father record it for him, so he, he could watch it when he got home. So he, so he had had the live experience and the tape experience. On the commentary, Vince missed that spot initially. So, so years later, he gave me his copy of the tape just because he just didn't need it anymore. So for years, I watched that one. So all, of a sudden, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, you see Sean on the floor writhing, holding his knee. And no reference to what happened. Hercules swung the chain down on him like a whip. On the on the network version, the DVD version, Vince dubs in very noticeably. His voice changes commentary. Oh no, not there! That and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you just hear Vince in a different tone of voice, commenting on the actual attack part. Wow. Okay. So that was okay. That's a nice little bit of adjustment. <laughs> it's always a, a bit more memorable for me because I was at that show. So I have sentimental feelings for SummerSlam '90. As a six-year-old lad. Aww. Young Justin at SummerSlam. Look out for him in the crowd somewhere. Uh, I'm way off camera. Way off camera. <laughs> and I got a foam championship belt that night, and I was very happy. And I got Amazing. to watch my favorite wrestler, the Ultimate Warrior, win the main event. 
Oh, brilliant. You were there. Show, which, yes, it was. I was there. We go to... Well, how about we look at WrestleMania 9 real quick? How's that sound? Yeah, let's let's run down the night. We did say that we would. This is We're doing a rundown of WrestleMania 9 instead of actually watching WrestleMania 9. Because I don't really this want is, to do that. Yeah, this is much easier than actually rewatching it. Just discussing what we remember about the show. I mean... I watch, I watch every Mania enough times to have a pretty good sense of what happened to all of them. So this is a, this is convenient. If it were a random in your house in 1996, I'd probably have to be like, ah, oh, crap, i got to rewatch it. WrestleMania 9, Las Vegas, Nevada at Caesars Palace, which was actually a converted car park. But it looked really, really cool. The, the entire aesthetic setup with the faux Roman Coliseum with the yellows and the purples and the, and the golds and the, and the color scheme. Genuinely the show. most aesthetically pleasing WrestleMania. It really is. It's just a shame it was so bad. I, w- I would throw in a vote for WrestleMania 21 with the Hollywood set. But, yeah, this is actually a really good point. This did, this did have that going for it, at least. This is definitely in the running for most as- best aesthetic manias. Only 14000 paid, according to the history of WWE, which, is, which probably cites the Observer. Crowd announced at 16000 which is very light for a mania. Uh, dark match, Tito Santana beats Papa Shango in 8 minutes after Shango misses a splash. Never saw this match, but it was Tito's final Mania match ever after losing 7 straight from 2 through 8. Good old Tito. This, this show is also the surprise debut. Well, it wasn't really a surprise if you read The Observer at the time, which I didn't, so it was a surprise for me. Surprise debut of Jim Ross in WWE. Oh yeah, because he did say it's my first WrestleMania as he stood there in the toga with absolutely no shame. Well, may have been slight shame, but he's good at hiding. <laughs> Jim Ross is a professional announcer. He's the consummate pro. We get the uh, it's it's Ross Monsoon and I mean Ross Savage and Heenan on commentary. We get the entire uh, introductory parade with the Caesar and Cleopatra impersonators. Savage comes out on a sedan being being fed grapes by virgins or Vestal virgins. I should Vestal say. virgins, yeah. Not garden variety versions, but Vestal versions. <laughs> but Bobby Heenan rides out backwards on a camel in a, in, a, in a bit of a goofy comedy. Excellent. This is one of my favorite Heenan moments. Yes, it was. It does go down in history as one of the great Bobby Heenan visuals. We get to the show itself, and in defense of WrestleMania 9, I love the first two matches. It's just after that, it lost its steam and never got it back. Yeah, it started with a blinder. Starting with Michaels and Tatanka. Incredible scenes. Intercontinental title match. Sean introduces a valet for one night, the debuting Luna Vachon, who is there to neutralize Sensational Sherry, who is still vehemently trying to ruin Sean's life after the whole pulling her in front of a a charging mirror gag and causing her to be injured. You know, you can understand why she'd be mad about that. So Luna... Luna brutalizes Sherry late in the match. Sean loses via the... I'm pretty sure it was count-out. I, I, I can't remember if it was count-out or D2, but I think it was count-out. So Sean retains the belt. Tatanga's undefeated streak remains intact. It was a damn good match. Really, really strong match. I just wish they pulled the trigger on either Tatanka becoming the champion or Tatanka losing his streak. Well, if, I have to ask. If Tatanka had lost his streak, would Ellis Emba have been in the front row wearing a toga with his mouth hanging open? <laughs> A young Ellis. <laughs> That's a great call. A very young out going, oh, oh no, I've watched the streak end. I hope I never see this again. 
and he was there when when Oscar lost to Charlotte and all that. <laughs> He's just there at we'll all the horrifying streak ending <laughs> moments. He's a broken mirror with glasses. <laughs> <laughs> um, next match was was actually my favorite match of the show. The Steiner brothers defeating the Head Shrinkers in one of the most hellaciously hard hitting WrestleMania matches ever. These two teams just beat the living snot out of one another. I had to stop myself from saying a certain word there. There were two spots in this match I will always remember. One is one of the headshrinkers giving Scott Steiner a hot shot toward the top rope and him clearing the rope and falling almost headfirst to the floor. I mean, he almost broke his neck on that spot. And watching today, it's like, God, how did he survive that? And, and the other was when I'm pretty sure it was Fatu had Rick on his shoulders. And Samu went up top and tried for a high cross body. And Rick gave him a power slam in midair off of Fatu's shoulders. That was insane. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. That is the sort of spot that, like, GIFs are made for today. When when on, when on pay-per-view night, Twitter's is inundated and Reddit's inundated with GIFs of different crazy spots, that would have been one of them. And that was 1993. Amazing. So after that, we – well, the next match pleases me in kind of a, a perverse way. It was Doink the Clown defeating Crush. Not a great match, but it did have the wonderful ending of the first appearance of the Doink doppelganger, the Doinkleganger, interfering it, on behalf of – Was there two Doinks? I was never sure. <laughs> well, it was an illusion, you see. I thought it might have been an illusion – well, Bob, well, Bobby Hina says it was an illusion, and and today's actually, as we record this, not to bring us down here, today's the one-year anniversary of Bobby Hina's passing. Oh, gosh, has he been gone a year? September 17th of oh, last year, yes. Bless him. I had no idea it was a year. Yes, the illusion slash second doink runs in, and Bash is crushing the head with a arm filled with pieces of lead. Because this is wonderfully twisted stuff here. Doink was and this is how stuff like this. Yes, this is Matt Bourne Doink being assisted by Steve Curran Doink, Skinner Doink, who I believe shaved his beard just for this role, which is commitment. Just to play second Doink. That is incredible commitment. And then the original Doink scores the pin. Next up, Razor Ramon versus Bob Backlund. And as much as I love both these guys for different reasons, this was not a good match. Very clunky, bit... Quite a style clash here. Razor in the inside cradle after like three or four minutes, and that's that. It was just, it was there. Then comes the first major match, of the both, probably second major match following the Intercontinental title. This was the Mega Maniacs of Hulk Hogan and British Beefcake challenging for Money Incorporated for the World Team titles. And this, this was kind of a disappointment. Not quite the great match, when I was saying that's a great match, but not as fun as you thought it would be. It was kind of dull in parts. Uh, Beefcake and Hogan were a little rusty. It showed. It was just kind of a formulaic 18-minute match that meandered to a non-finish. And, and ended up with Money Incorporated winning by disqualification. And then Jimmy Hart beats up referee Danny Davis after the match. But Hogan poses anyway. Because... Oh, we, we get the full Hogan pose. <clears throat> Presumably because we think we're not going to see him again tonight. So let's just get... A good, good five, ten minutes of Hogan posing and hot dogging and grandstanding. Yeah, Hulk's gone for the night. He's got, he's got an early flight to catch. He's out of here. The show's, the show's lost steam, and it doesn't regain it. Next match you think would be 
in the upper echelon, but it sadly wasn't. It was the narcissist Lex Luger defeating Mr. Perfect. Funny story here. This is from Lex Luger's kayfabe commentary shoot interview about about 1993. Mm-hmm. He said he said Kurt Hennig had this whole match planned out. Luger says, "You got a match in mind?" Hennig's like, "Yep, we're all good for tomorrow. We're all good for Sunday, whatever it was." And then they get into the ring. Luger's relying on Perfect here. When they lock up, Perfect says, "I forgot everything." <gasps> he just he had a complete brain fart right there in the middle of the ring and had forgotten the entire plan. So they just if, if, if you watch it, it's not a bad match, but it doesn't really go anywhere. They're kind of just flubbing around for nine or ten minutes until they go to the finish. That's my one fear if I was ever to become a wrestler, which I'm never, ever going to be. Um, my <laughs> one fear would be, um, I've forgotten everything we planned. Now, if Bret Hart were there and this was SummerSlam 92, you'd be fine. Oh, yeah, if, as long as I was in the past with a wrestler from the past. I mean, there's a, there are many these days who would could probably save the day for me, but uh, that frightens me. That frightens me, just going, forgotten everything. I, I mean, by no means was it a train wreck, this match. It, it wasn't like that at all. It was just, you know, you, you probably had like a three-and-a-half-star match in mind and then being like a two-star match. It was, just, it was like two session guitarists just riffing for ten minutes. That's, That's a really nice way of describing it. it. It wasn't an actual song. They were just you know, playing chords and riffs for a little while, and then, oh, we're done. And after the match, we segue into the Kurt Hennig-Shawn Michaels feud. When Perfect chases the Luger backstage, Shawn's there, and Shawn gives him a beating with a trash can. Nice. I saw that. I remember that was that was quite a scene. And, and, and they would feud throughout the summer of 93 which will culminate at SummerSlam, which we'll get to. There's plenty of time for that. Next up, we have Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez. And, Tom, one of my first assignments for what? I almost said the other one. One of my first assignments for Cultaholic. Oh, that was nearly a Freudian slip. Sorry, Adam. Please don't stab me with your very thick mustache. Which Adam? Um, <laughs> the, one, the one who employs me. That's the right answer. She's going to try and catch you out again. <laughs> So, anyway, train of thought here. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. One of my first assignments for Cultaholic nice. was to write a script for Adam and ranking the 25 Undertaker matches at WrestleMania that happened at that point from worst to best. This was the worst. And no one's going to argue that point with me unless you really hate Triple H to the point where you say all of his matches are negative five stars. Yeah, this was the worst Undertaker match at WrestleMania ever. Yeah, Gonzalez. Uh, look, look. All due respect to the guy, he was seven foot seven. He could barely move. You, you weren't. It's the whole great Collie thing. No disrespect intended, but it's it's very clunky watching them try to wrestle. They are very, very limited. And this match was Undertaker could have have good matches with some big guys. Gonzalez was just not one of them. And the match ends with a chloroforming. So, take that for what it's worth. A DQ finish with a chloroforming and then a, a run back and an awful beatdown. So far on the show, we've had a countout, a disqualification, and a disqualification via chloroform. We're doing well. Yeah, this is a... Vince Savage had the balls on roll that said this was the best WrestleMania of all time. Oh, they really, <laughs> they really banged on about the fact this was the best WrestleMania of all time. Spoilers, mate, weren't. If you've never, they are leading you into into an open manhole. Do not follow them. The main event, well, the alleged main event, 
Bret Hart defend the world title against Yokozuna. Short match. According to Bret, Yoko went home too early because he's, he's either winded or he just he just want to get out of there. I just heard he was blown up. He was just like, oh, let's just go to the finish. I'm tired. And Bret actually managed to get Yoko into the sharpshooter, which was an impressive sight. Fuji throws salt in Bret's eyes. Ref doesn't see it. Yoko pins Bret while he's just laying there. Bret is he's, he's not he's not hit with a high impact move. He's just laying there holding his face because apparently the, the salt has a, has a paralyzing effect. And Bret ended up like a spider on his back with his legs crossed, legs up. Yoko just pins him. He's now the world champion. Well, Hulk Hogan, who cut a rather questionable promo before this match about I mean, this is just say he called Yoko a very derogatory word. Oh, um, he did, didn't he? Oh, oh this yeah. doesn't age well. He call, calls him the J-word. And uh, he, Hogan hits the ring to protest this injustice. And Fuji, for some reason, because Fuji, I love him, but this, this, this didn't make him look smart, challenges Hogan to a match right now while his exhausted and, quite frankly, about to pass out world champion is standing up with the belt over his shoulder. Yoko just <laughs> like like glugging for air. The man was just was in a horrible way. If I can paraphrase Jim Cornette here and what he said about the Hogan Piper cage match in '97, he was sucking wind so bad the first three rows passed out from oxygen deprivation. <laughs> and I and love, they were close I, I to that, Yoko's... which is impressive when we're outside. And I love Yokozuna. I, I have no room to talk about endurance because I. I couldn't run one mile without without passing out these days. But yeah, this why would Fuji be issuing this challenge when his champion is standing there looking like he's about to keel over? And also, why would Hulk Hogan, as a great friend of Bret Hart, do what he was about to do? I can't well, do it, brother. And Bret Hart's like, no, just help me to the back like you were going to. Uh, well, I, <laughs> I, uh, I, no, I, I better get in the ring, brother. Oh, you are an ass, mate. <laughs> Worst friend. For... Well, Hogan had to win the belt back for America because those asshole Japanese, you know, they make our electronics and our cars and they, oh, yeah, they're our friends now. The war's been over 50 years. Crap. <laughs> I just blew the whole angle, I think. So Hogan gets in there. He beats Yoko in 20 seconds. He's now He's now champion for a fifth time. And he poses a second time to end the show because Hulk must pose. And that's WrestleMania 9. And that's why a lot of people hate this show so much. If you watch one other bit of WrestleMania 9, the one bit that we didn't mention was Bret Hart did an interview before the match. And he was he was fine. He was Bret Hart. And then Mean Gene mentioned uh, Hulk Hogan saying how Hulk Hogan had his back and asked Brett his thoughts, and you can just see the sadness in Brett's eyes. And at the time, you yeah. don't think anything of it. You think, oh, he's just he's in the zone or whatever. Now we know what we know. And I just Every time I watch this, it makes me a bit sad because Brett knew what was coming. He knew what was coming, and it was just, oh, so sad. Apparently, according to his book, Brett didn't find out until the Friday before that he was losing the belt. He thought he was winning. He was going to come out as the big hero. Yeah, well, that was all Hogan sort of lobbied quite close to the show itself to say, ah, I should be champion, brother. He said that Hogan, this is Bruce's breath's claim now, that Hawk Hogan, when he came back in early March just to do a few matches, that Vince assured him was going to be just that, that Hogan was very unfriendly toward him, wouldn't shake his hand, wouldn't talk to him. 
But when the word broke to Hogan's getting the belt, all of a sudden Hogan was acting like his best friend. <sighs> really Politics, not a man. Of Hogan. So political. Yep. Well, I mean, this is us taking Brett at his word, and given the many stories about Hogan over the years, there's probably quite a bit of truth to what Brett's saying. I'm, I'm pretty confident in saying that. So now we come to Raw. This is 24 hours after the fact. Hogan is now the champion, but you won't see him on this show. In fact, you won't see very many people who were part of WrestleMania in, in a physical capacity. I think the Steiner brothers and Bob Backlund are the only people who wrestled on both WrestleMania and this show. Yeah, that's true. Which made it even sadder. Yeah, this was this this was one of the weird episodes of Raw ever, not just because it was taped before Mania and is airing after, but because every match it seems like features a well-known, not necessarily jobber, but super lower carter, and they all get in plenty of offense on the guys they're working with. It feels nothing like a post-WrestleMania show. <laughs> oh, it doesn't at all. Well, now we know, as you said, it doesn't feel like a post-WrestleMania show because it kind of wasn't. It was filmed before WrestleMania. And that's very evident when when we get the opening bit with Vincent Savage at ringside. No Rob Bartlett, although he will come up later on. Vince and Savage are doing the they're doing the um, buffer segment on the floor, which is going to which which was taped two weeks earlier. And they're going, what a WrestleMania that was! But they're not giving any details because the show hasn't happened yet. They're very <laughs> vague, and now I get what they've done, and it's very cool. It's very clever, and they make it seamless. And it does help that Rob Bartlett's not there. Yeah, no Rob Bartlett, it is just a two-man booth for this show. Although he will play into the alleged comedy as the show goes on. <laughs> the alleged comedy! It's alleged. Vince says the last time he saw Savage, he was wearing a toga. Well, that wasn't exactly true. Savage did not wear a toga at WrestleMania. He wore just a white and purple and gold-trimmed version of his usual attire. The hat, the shirt, the pants, or the tights, I should say, the, the sunglasses... It was just the WrestleMania color scheme version of what he always wears. Everybody else had a toga except for Savage. Ooh. So that was... Slight, slight oversight. Yeah, that was a small lie. Small little white lie. I will note that on this show, Savage has the raw catchphrase on the back of his shirt and on his sleeves. He had that forget. last week, I do believe. I really liked it. <laughs> so vote for me. Vote for Senator Kang... Uh, uh, Bob Dole. <laughs> I loved it. I like. I like how he was like. It was. He was like a car that somebody had painted all the things <laughs> over. It's like when Homer had Lenny equals white, Carl equals black on his hand. <laughs> Case Casey forgets. <laughs> we all forget little details sometimes. So the opening match, which may well have been the main event. Well, actually, there's there's a better match later in the show. Bam Bam Bigelow versus Virgil. And, and they got seven minutes. It felt like longer. Oh, it felt it like longer. The crowd cannot love Bam Bam anymore, and they cannot hate Virgil anymore. It's at this point that the live that night commentary kicks in. That Vince talks about how Fuji and Yokozuna are filing a formal protest over the title change, that it was not a sanctioned match. 
and the Jack Tide's going to make a rolling later on, uh, chaotic, yeah. or Sarah said yada, yada, yada. Um, crowd is changing, Virgil sucks. So this is like a post-mania crowd, actually. <laughs> Virgil is so far down the totem pole at this point. And Bam Bam Bigelow, who really, I, st- I think, he, if, in this time period, he just looks brilliant. This should have been your boy chasing the WWF Championship after Mania. This just seems right, Bigelow does. This would have been the upper tier heel that they upper tier heel that they feed to the babyface champion. You mean? Yeah, he would have been the the, the fodder that, that catapults somebody up or keeps a, a top tier guy busy because he can work and he and mm-hmm. it's it's a big deal to beat Bam Bam Bigelow. It feels like it's a big deal. So he would be the Samoa Joe to Bret Hart, AJ Styles. Yeah, exactly. That's a great call. Exactly that. And I hope and I'd love to hear Bam Bam Bigelow read bedtime stories to Brett's children <laughs> with that Jersey accent. Oh God, it'd be so good. <laughs> Your father's not coming home tonight. <laughs> that's, that's, more, that's more of a Central Jersey accent, but he's from Asbury Park. How you I'm doing, with... there, kids? I'm Bam Bam Bigelow. I can't Fun think of any that. words that rhyme with Bigelow. Jigolo. Jigolo. Oh, Jimmy Del Rey's coming in. Jimmy Del Rey's coming in to help him. What a way to bring in Jimmy Del Rey. Uh, fun Bam Bam fact, he's from the same hometown as bad boy Joey Janela, Asbury Park. Oh, brilliant. Greetings from Joey Janela's hometown. <laughs> yes, two of my favorite wrestlers, too. I'm always happy for my jersey, guys. Oh, Joey Janela's excellent. It's at this point during the match that I should point out that Vincent Savage spent more time discussing mania than giving. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. i a fraction of a damn about these matches. Oh, these are this, just I think the first two especially, it was just all WrestleMania conjecture. These matches are in the can. Nobody cares. This is just an hour filler. This was SmackDown. This is, this is non- Brand extension SmackDown before non-brand extension SmackDown. It's just there to occupy space and get some rights fees. That's all it is. And Vince, of course, Vince has the balls to call us the greatest WrestleMania of all time. Oh, they just keep doing that the whole way through. It just makes me chuckle. It's this like you, what... you are, you are so, so wrong. But it's your job to sell. So I get it. You've got to push it. I get it. But it was dreadful. This is like when you're feeding a baby and they won't eat the food. 
So you gotta like pretend to eat it and go, mmm, this is really good. So that they'll eat it too. <laughs> I'm now picturing Vincent Mann feeding a baby. Here comes the plane! <laughs> no! He's gonna puke! He's gonna puke! <laughs> <laughs> I'm overtired and that's tickled me. (laughs) You are sleepy. I am. uh, Yeah, behind the curtain, very sleepy. Um, (laughs) I I was at the back end of the country this morning and I got back in time to see Justin. And as you rightly said, Justin, uh, uh, flying from one end of the UK to the other isn't a bad thing. Hold my beer. Let me fly from one end of America to the other. Yes, slightly different sizes. Yeah, just a little bit. So I'm not going to complain about being tired because then I become the waiting to your John Pollock. And we ain't nobody got time for that. I love them both, but they always talk about how tired they are. Well, the show doesn't really help matters. Cause it's, it's, no, the show isn't helping. The show isn't helping. Vince talks about how Luger knocked out Bret Hart with his, and I'm quoting here, controversial forearm yes this is this like this this weekend that we've just had is the first time that we're really truly referencing this controversial forearm of lex luger i mean just just the, the very phrase controversial forearm it sounds like a weezer album <laughs> so it sounds like a good concept album <laughs> controversial forearm and at this point the vince lets us know where the third wheel is rob bartlett he's apparently stuck in las vegas has apparently blown all of his money at the, at the tables and has no way home. Vince sounds real sympathetic here. He really, really does. Uh, I'm uh, Savage, however, is like, leave him to die. Like he's out in the <laughs> desert. <laughs> yes, Undertaker left him there as part of a bonding ritual. He has to eat a scorpion to survive. <laughs> I, think, I, I think there should be a series of, of videos that chronicle Rob Bartlett trying to make his way back from Vegas. How about less Rob Bartlett on, on, on our shows? I think that would be better. I mean, there is that, but if he's going to be on the show anyway, have him, you know, confront a snake like the big show did when he was being trained by The Undertaker in 1999, and then have him walk out of the desert with the bike over his shoulder wearing snake skin boots. <laughs> if Rob you get Bartlett that reference, biggest... you're my favorite wrestling fan, by the way. He would be the biggest baby face on the roster if he did that. Oh, you... that would turn him round. I would absolutely turn him around. And then knowing Vince, he'd fire him the next day. My favorite part of the match is when Vince says the crowd's behind Virgil. Meanwhile, everybody facing the hard camera is chanting Bam Bam while stomping their feet in between the Bams. That was funny. The really, really anti-Virgil crowd. And Vince is out. This is... So, is Virgil Roman Reigns? Well, let's see here. Let's... Draw some parallels, Justin. You have an hour. Well, you guzzy. You got upset when Rob Bartlett compared Virgil to Montel Williams. But <laughs> <laughs> has, anyone, has anyone ever been compared to Montel Williams and Roman Reigns in the span of several weeks besides Virgil? I think this is a first. This has to be a first. I think it's a first. And his, um, his ring attire makes him look like a Murray Mint. <laughs> yes, the white tights with the black vertical stripes. Exactly. We're not. We're not playing what bar because that's OSW review. Uh, we don't do what bar. That they do that perfectly well. But he does look like a Murray Mint. 
the, uh, the last minute of this match was really, really fun. Virgil comes back with a decent-looking missile drop kick, and then hits Bayman with a Polish hammer right to the chops. However, he falls victim to Bayman, who slams him down, goes up top, diving headbutt finishes. The match was too long, but the last minute was a lot of fun. Ah, uh, yeah, I enjoyed. Um, I I quite enjoyed the the, the pace near the finish, but I thought generally the match felt like it was about three hundred days long. <laughs> we have forty six minutes to kill. Just go out there and stall. God, if Vince had Larry, if he had Larry Zbyszko on the roster at this point, he'd have been golden. Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> it would have certainly perked things up. But yes, yeah, so, but but we didn't really like Vince wasn't invested in this match at all. It was just a backdrop for him to talk about what he'd been doing, what 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 happened at WrestleMania. That's probably how the show was configured in the first place. Just let's make it filler, but just have, have stuff on the background while we discuss, while we try to sell people on buying the replay of this show. It's probably all it was. So now we have a historic moment here. This is the first ever Raw appearance of Jerry the King Lawler. First of many. This whole night belonged to Jerry the King Lawler. I believe. I, I Let's start with the still picture they have of him looking like if, if M. Bison was a wrestler in Memphis. <laughs> I can't imagine Lawler doing the Psycho Crusher, though. I'd love to see it, personally. I like that look of Jerry Lawler, and I got quite excited thinking, oh, is that what Jerry's wearing at this point? And obviously then he comes out, and he's wearing his normal um, kingly getup. But I love that kind of commander Jerry Lawler garb. Oh, it was great. What a great look. Mixing Memphis wrestling with Street Fighter. Yeah. I thought it was fantastic. Well, one of the moon dogs could be Blanca. There Got you go. Green. Let's do like a night where they just throw all the gimmicks out and just bring everybody into who. Who else would we be? Who else would we have from Street Fighter? We need somebody with really long limbs. Well, E-Honda's Yokozuna. Oh, it's done. Boxing. Oh, yeah. That, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, E-Hon, well, uh, Sim. With really long well, limbs. Well, couldn't Kofi Kingston be Dalsim if he has like the, just the flexibility and the... Yeah. Kofi would make an excellent Dalsim. I'm happy with that. Uh, Ryu and Ken. Um, that would be the Young Bucks. Young Bucks. Brilliant. This is um, Chun-Li. Um, Kyrie Sane. Kyrie Sane or Asuka? Asuka. Asuka, I think. I think Asuka. I think Asuka would fit more into that. You're um, not ready for Chun-Li. Guile. John Cena. Easy. Yeah. Well, if... If you slim Brock down a little bit, maybe Brock. No, Cena, Cena, you're right. I know. I think. Um, I think. I think we should. We should. Um, we should dye Brock's hair and make him Zangief. <laughs> no, Rusev is Zangief. Of course he is. How foolish of me! <laughs> Rusev oh, just, is Zangief. Uh, just a thought for Guile, the in-game commentary. Sonic Boom. He didn't get all of it. <laughs> Sorry, bro. Wait, no. Wait just a minute. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle wins. LOL. Perfect. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. There you go. WWE, make it happen. Andrade Cien almost has to be Vega because he wears a mask at first, but then he takes it off. Absolutely. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. That's a nice fit, actually. 
Bobby Lashley's Balrog. Bobby Lashley's Balrog. That's a good. That's a nice fit as well. Um, Sagat. We need to meet someone who's really tall and can kill you. Sagat. Braun. Braun. Braun Strowman. Oh, Braun without the. Oh, we'd have to shave his beard. I quite Wait. like Braun's beard. Make an eye patch out of the beard. Just picturing a really hairy eye patch. <laughs> I'm not finished with you. Uppercut. Up, Tiger uppercut. God, this is more fun than this goddamn show. Let me tell you. I, li- I like. You know when it's a bad show, Justin, because me and you will <laughs> always try and distract ourselves. Yes. T Hawks to Tonka, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> All right, back to this horse fluff. Here we have. <laughs> Lawler comes out. He has a match against. One of the all-time great undercar wrestlers ever, Jim Powers of the Young Stallions. That's how you know this is a this isn't even a B show. Calling it a B show is is too nice. Lawler's upset because the crowd's chanting Burger King at him. He he refuses to wrestle until they show him respect. They don't. He leaves. Gripping. Kenny Omega as Akuma. <laughs> but back to that now. Well, stop now. That was just, that was bouncing around my head. I liked this bit with Jerry Lawler. I thought this was really fun because how many times you have a wrestler go, hey, stop booming or I'll go. And he went, all right, I'm going. Like, he actually followed up on the threat. I was kind of hoping this would be, like, his role for the next couple of weeks. Like an Eve. Is that Eve I'm thinking of? I think all read everything. Yeah, Eva Marie. Eva Marie. Like the Eva, (laughs) Jerry Lawler, the Eva Marie of 93. Just uh, constantly doing the, okay, bye, I'm going. <laughs> Lana as Cammy. Yeah, you have a good point there. Um, I think. Uh, <laughs> We're just going to drop these in, aren't we, for the rest of the day? Yes, we are. It was a good solid heel bit. It's very Memphis-ish, but Lawler's one of the greatest workers ever. And, and, and I don't mean, you know, five-star, hour-long matches at the Tokyo Dome, great worker. No, I mean, I'm talking just working the crowd and knowing every little trick in the book. Jerry Lawler, even he's, he's like forty-three years old here, and he's the best heel they have. And you'll see that as the year goes on. That, isn't it? You could say that, or you could say that Jerry Lawler is one of the absolute best of all time, and he is. And yeah, we'll, like yeah, I I would like to see him do more. Even in twenty twelve, <laughs> even in twenty eleven and twelve, when he had those brief feuds with the Miz and CM Punk, just. His baby face fiery rhetoric on the microphone when he when he would jaw back and forth with them and then and then have the matches with them where he would just show tremendous timing. He was like 60, 62, 63 years old at that point. He was still the king. He, he is so underrated by fans today. He, he, like, he's still the same Jerry Lawler he was 30 years ago almost. Just ageless and timeless at this point. And uh, I like this bit. I really did. Just him coming out and then going again. It was fine. It was fine. So we we do a cutaway to the WrestleMania 9 set. This is obviously taped the day before. We're arranging interviews, and I use that term loosely. Mr. Fuji and Yokozuna. This is just some, this is just some physical exposition to talk about their formal protest. Yoko angrily disrobes, removing his robe. Thankfully, nothing else. Minjin just explains the storyline that Vince already told us. Fuji stands there and nods. And that's it. This was pointless. <laughs> this was truly pointless. It was just Minjin going, so Mr. Fuji, you said this, and then you said this, and you said this. Whoa, there's, there's that, a story. 
back to you. <laughs> that was all it was. I was like, why was the Mania 9 set still up at, at 9 o'clock on a Monday night? Why wasn't Mr. Fuji allowed to talk? Like, he can do... Like, that broken English shouting is kind of what we needed there. We'll get plenty of that over the summer when he says heap toss. <laughs> <laughs> Next match is... <laughs> God damn it. Bob Backlund versus Kim Chi. This is now, random as heck. <laughs> Kimchi already in the ring. Not that that really makes a difference. Now, this is my question. Why? Kim... <laughs> okay, this is my second question. Kimchi was the handler of Kamala, correct? Yes. His entire role was to keep him reined in whenever he went ballistic and just basically just control him. So, technically, he is not a wrestler. He is not even a former wrestler turned manager who knows the tricks of the trade. He is just there to basically just be a handler and nothing more. So him and Kamala split sometime in early ninety three. They had the big falling out, them and Harvey Whippleman. So why is Kim Chi why is he now a wrestler? <laughs> I mean I, <laughs> I don't know. I realize I realize it's Brooklyn Brawler underneath, so he he's it is, it is a trained wrestler underneath. No, it's role. Kim Chi. Just just go with me here, Tom. No, it's Kim Chi. He is he is the handler of Kamala. It's still that real would, to me, damn it. That would be like NFL quarterback Tom Brady firing his agent. And dressing as Kim Chi. There, there, there is that. He probably still couldn't catch either, even if he was Kim Chi. <laughs> But uh, and then said agent, who has never picked up a football in his life, is all of a sudden the starting quarterback for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's that's a good that's a good analogy. It is very random how suddenly he's like, oh, you're a thing. Oh, okay, that's fine. So, and, and, and he also handle- had he also had a very successful career on the UK independent wrestling scene. <laughs> well. Kimchi. Yeah, well, yeah, kinda, because I, I'm not gonna say the company, but I'm sure you could Google and the pictures are there, and you can make your own decisions. Uh, there was a company that, on many occasions, advertised featuring on the show Doink the Clown and Kim Chi, WWE <laughs> Hall of Famers, and wait, 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 Hall of Famers, Hall of Famers, Doink the Clown and Kim Chi. Okay. I don't want to suggest that it was maybe one guy wrestling twice, <laughs> but Doink and Kim Chi clearly let themselves go to exactly the same extent. Was it James Dixon? You can tell me. I can confirm it wasn't James Dixon. He was too busy taking the credit for all the books you've written. Yes, James, despite that, has integrity. <laughs> <laughs> no, this wasn't James Dixon. This was, uh, but there, but but it's it. I, I'm sure you can find pictures. I shan't cast the versions as to who it was. But every time I saw the posters, I don't think the company even exists anymore. It always made me laugh. I was like, wow, Kim Chi and Doink the Clown. One of which, Here's one her. of which is a little bit dead. A little bit dead. A little bit dead. <laughs> Is he stone dead or just a little bit dead? Just a bit dead. And Kim Chi's okay. not that well either. Okay. <laughs> who's, there, who, who's there a point at Bondage Mask Steve Austin? 
Uh, I, I wish there was. It's Steve Austin. Oh, we it's had. Steve Austin, but because. <laughs> <laughs> but because of a recent um, outbreak of, of avian bird flu, he'll be wearing a mask for this match. <laughs> he's not been very well. And uh, he's, he's, got, um, he's got a lot of water retention at the moment. So he looks bigger than he normally is. <laughs> but it is definitely Steve Austin. When That's I'm, not crusty. I've had a brilliant idea, right? I'm going to share this with you because the 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 promoter that I discussed this with, hi Andrew Bowers, um, was wasn't au fait with the idea. I, Andrew, who who uh, promotes North Wrestling, I love that man so much. He genuinely gave me a, a wonderful chance to 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 work for his company, and we did the pre-show and I do a commentary, and I love working for him. And he generally is a good guy, um, and also. <laughs> I kind of think that part of him regrets sometimes bringing me in because now I have him on my messenger and I will just message him ideas. And most of the time it's like, Tom, go, go to bed, mate, because it's late. And no. <laughs> um, I, had a, I had an idea of, the, of doing the real British invasion, which is like we, where we say like the stars... Of the of the first generation of British wrestling are coming to claim what's theirs, and people go, okay, so maybe it's a it's it's like a lot of the old guys, it's like Johnny Kidd, maybe people like that forming a Fed, forming a, forming a faction, NWO, Click style. No, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about UK Undertaker, UK Kane, <laughs> the Legend of Doom. <laughs> <laughs> like forming an alliance of like the insane with the original greats of British wrestling and we're taking it back. I love that so much. I want to see like I want to see Legend of Doom teaming with UK Kane and UK Undertaker to face on like CCK <laughs> and, and Amir Jordan. That'd be amazing. Versus, versus British strong style. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> that British Strong Style versus UK Undertaker, UK Kane, and the Legend of Doom. <laughs> book it. If Glenn I put from Progress, to... book it. <laughs> Glenn Joseph, tr- we've never spoke, mate. But if you listen to this, book that, please. I could put you in touch with Mr. Janella. He he runs these Spring Break events. I'm pretty sure we could probably. There's there's a small chance that he that his eyes light up and go. Dude, that's brilliant. And I can probably pop to uh, the McDonald's that UK Undertaker's working at these days and ask if he's available. <laughs> we have an Undertaker person here on American Indies, but the less said about him, the better. Oh, my, really? Uh, I, I can't go much further than that. Is he bad? Well, okay. I'll tell you off air. How's that? Okay, okay. We'll do, this one. we'll do this one behind the curtain. I'm excited. We've got to talk about this Raw, mate, because we're doing that thing again. Yeah, we're doing that thing again. Back when this is Kim G. Vince plugs the WrestleMania hotline during the match. Boy, did the internet ruin that concept of hotlines. Yeah, it did, didn't it? <laughs> I, like, I like the hotline. Even Mean Jeans one, who I know I got very angry about last week. Yes. Yeah. I hope you patch things up, you two. We're fine now. We're cool. He, he knows he was in the wrong. <laughs> Back one's going 50-50 with a feeder of... With Kamala's feeder, handler, and trainer. He went with a counter into the Zack Zach Sabre bridge, and that was that. I love how that was his finisher, and the crowd really went for it. Like like a, a roll-up. 
Well, it, was, it, was, it was an elaborate roll-up. It wasn't like a distraction finish roll-up. It wasn't like they played Bash and Booger's music and all of a sudden Kim Chi got all flummoxed and back and just pulls him back into the roll-up. And Macho Man uh, shilled this by shouting, The Joy of Wrestling, page 48, which is, the, which is an amazing uh, nod to The Joy of Sex Books, which I really enjoyed from Randy Savage. <laughs> I'll be I'm going to find that book, turn to page 48, and see what's on it, because I'll bet he's memorized 48 for a reason. It's a picture of Bob Backlund doing that crap. <laughs> <laughs> the Backlund Sutra. It's basically how... Uh, it's basically Backlund's sort of like like shaky hand, shaky arm dance, which is almost <laughs> almost flossing. <laughs> which it's, it's half flossing, half Brock Lesnar stand there and jog taunt. It is, isn't it? Backland kind of Brock. half Backland inspired Lesnar and inspired flossing. Brock Flossner. Brock Flossner. That is now how we will refer to Bob Backland as <laughs> Brock Flossner. And our next match, boy, if you thought Bob Backland and Kimchi was random, you don't know. Insert expletive here. <laughs> Damien Demento versus Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. From off of the Killer Bees. This is like, there actually was a, a, a DeLorean here, but it wasn't the Iker Per powered one. It was a WF ice cream bar DeLorean from 1987, <laughs> and it, it's just dropping guys off. Like, like here comes the Brooklyn Brawler. Here comes Bob Backlund. Here comes Jim Powers later on. And out, out pops one half of the Killer Bees. And I love the Killer Bees. They were a very underrated team. They were Jim Brunzel was a tremendous athlete in his day. But goddamn, is this random? Do you know what this is like? Have you you've have you played? I think we talked about it. Have you ever dabbled on the WWE 2K games? I, I do play them. You know the universe mode. Yes. And you can just just hit like automate. Mm-hmm. This is what happens when you automate for like six months. <laughs> you start getting stuff like this popping up. Also, WrestleMania 35 is. Is Razor versus Mojo Raleigh for like, the cruiserweight <laughs> title? And, uh, and, and Grand Metalik's just won the Royal Rumble. Of course he has. <laughs> and then Ronda Rousey ruins his moment. I read a tweet where somebody had said that they had automated um, their version of Universe Mode for about three years. And during that time, Jack the Jobber had become WWE champion five times. That's probably going to happen. That's, that's brilliant. Hey, more power to Jack. Yeah, well done, Jack. Good work, fella. <laughs> so it's during this match that Rob Bartlett calls in. Because we can't just focus on Demento versus Brunzel. No, 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 no. We have to do comedy. Bartlett calls in and says, and this is my this is my favorite part of the entire show, says the check that Vince gave him bounced. And I, and I wrote, well, it was 1993. <laughs> Everybody's checks were bouncing in the 90s. Well, no, that, that'd be slander if we said that. Let's just say that times weren't weren't the best for WWE at this point. They were running smaller venues, not just for Raw, but for TV tapings. And the big stars were gone. They were they were a bit scandal plagued. The, the bloom was off the rose at this point, and and they weren't living. They weren't uh, they were eating five dollar meals instead of ten dollar meals. Let's put it that way. Well, put it this way: Rob Bartlett has just been left off Raw because of reasons. Yes, and. We only have two more shows for which to endure him, and that's it. Was was there Where, a legit reason why he wasn't there? Was it because they were worried well, no, he might spoil WrestleMania? 
You make it sound like Rob Borla actually watched WrestleMania. That's a good point, actually. I bet he didn't. <laughs> I mean, he was at this taping because it was the same night that he had that he kissed a Rosati sister. So yeah, he so was he in was the building. There. Yeah, they just maybe he had a gig on the night of uh, like April fifth or whatever, like a comedy gig, and he couldn't be there, so they just did this bit. That might make sense, actually. I mean, so they just sent him backstage in between the taping parts, and uh, they moved on. I thought it was as, as a bit. It was. It wasn't massively painful. It was a bit naff. And it just. Do you know what? It, it's lines like, "Oh, your check bounced." I go, "Oh no, wait, no, it didn't. It was fine, but I spent it all. I bought three drinks that were a dollar each." I. I always. I. I don't. I never use lines like that. Uh, in, when I work for companies, because I feel like it immediately just demeans the company. I hate, really... I hate, I hate, I hate radio presenters. Not all of them, just some. Um, when it's when the, when there's results day, when when resu- when um, A level results like exam results come out in the UK, you can guarantee there is going to be. Uh, a majority of radio presenters who are going to say, oh, good luck if you're getting your uh, results today. And uh, hey, don't worry if you don't do very well. You could always be a radio presenter. <laughs> oh, you will hear that so many times. It will give you a stomach ulcer. And I hate it. It's the worst. It just really degrades what you do. <laughs> I don't do that. Right, that's my wins for the week. I've done it. <laughs> it, was, it was like when, uh, when Bischoff was the GM of Raw. And Vince got mad at him in early 2003 because you know he he wasn't he wasn't shaking things up like he was supposed to. He, he thought he brought him in to be, you know, a maverick, a trailblazer. And he's saying Raw sucks compared to what it used to be. And it's like, yeah, why are you telling don't the do that the show's that. terrible? He said, you don't tell the audience that the show's garbage. And, he, and there's Rob Bartlett saying this company's losing money left and right, and I could barely pay for anything. My stipend was so small that you know, Vince probably cut him off, cut him off. TNA was uh, infamous for doing that when Hulk Hogan was there. He would always talk about, I'm going to start getting this company back on track. Don't tell people it's off the track. Just, exactly. just carry on. Wrestling's at work. Tell them it's great. Exactly. <laughs> Someone's going to believe you. It's like, I don't, that's why I'm, I'm less annoyed with the whole WrestleMania 9 was the greatest WrestleMania ever. Of course it was. You have to say that. That's your shtick. <laughs> WrestleMania 9, while not as great as WrestleMania 3, it had some tangible moments. It was fair to Midland, and there was some real dust, some real dross in there. But hey, here we are. It's Monday. Like, don't do that. And they didn't. And I prefer that to going, oh, this company's rubbish. It could have been worse. There wasn't a, a disease outbreak during the show. So, hey, you know, count your blessings. So they finally hang up on Bartlett, and Savage gets in a great line. This is Monday Night Raw, not Monday Night Sympathy. <laughs> I want to see a savage. show called Monday I want to see a wrestling program called Monday Night Sympathy on a Thursday. <laughs> How would you book Monday Night Sympathy? Better than this. <laughs> <laughs> right, Brun- so um, Jim Brunzel and Demento. Brunzel <laughs> hits like a dropkick, which was blatantly meant to be his finisher, but uh, Demento got a foot <laughs> on the ropes. He, he not only got the dropkick, but he got the ear clap as well. He got the, the full Brunzel whammy. Yes, you got the Killer Bees full experience here, minus B. Brian Blair. Vince got in a bizarre plug for for the replay at this point, WrestleMania. He's he stumbles over his words a little bit, like of course I have room to talk, but this but this this man's a professional salesman here. And he's basically saying if you bought the show on Sunday, buy it again on Tuesday. And I'm like, who? If you have a pay per view box, you probably have enough money to own a VCR as well. 
and you probably taped the show if you bought it the first time. <laughs> they must have known the numbers were bad. If oh, they were yes, they people did. to do that. Well, they brought in Hogan almost at the last minute, so. Well, not the last minute, but Nearly very late the last into the minute. process. To try and turn things around. I mean, if you saw the attendances at this point, they were doing a lot of international tours for a reason because things were stagnant in the States. What was with Damien Demento's finisher here? He Well, he, he adjusted something in his knee pad, then did a knee drop, which that tells me that uh, he had some sort of weapon in there. Maybe something metallic that he was putting in a certain spot. And he dropped a knee across Brunzel's face, and that was enough to knock him out. So I assume there was some sort of chicanery afoot. Was this a regular occurrence with him? Because it's just because you're, you're about to launch Lex Luger with this whole, he's got this metal bit in his body that can do damage, and we're not sure about it. If Damon Demento's now doing that. I can remember episodes of Superstars 1990, <laughs> but I can't remember Demento winning a match other than this ever. <laughs> so I, I am in no position to answer your question. Well, we will watch and see how it pans out. I, I, I don't think he wins another match after this. I think this was his one win. Oh, he, he was basically he, he, was, he was a Kurt Hawkins fever dream. <laughs> That's a lovely way to describe him. So Vince mocks Bartlett for being broke because because Vince is a nice guy. It, it occurs to me at this point, I won't go too far into this because I, I, I don't care. <laughs> 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 they brought in Bartlett to be the edgy New, New Yorker comic. That didn't fit. So Vince is trying to recast him into what Lord Alfred Hayes was on Tuesday Night Titans as the bumbling sidekick. Bartlett's not buying that too much. He plays it a little bit, but he also has to get his stuff in. That's not working, so that's why they got rid of him. And it's becoming more and more obvious. Vince tries to prefab him into something he's more familiar with, something he can work with. And Bartlett is, uh, he doesn't fit that mold. So this is, that was the last, that was clearly the last ditch effort before they just parted ways. Two more shows after this with Bartlett, and then we're home free, and Bobby Heenan joins us. We're off to plan something special for Rob Bartlett's last show. Well, special is kind of a flexible uh, adjective there. <laughs> so let's just jump ahead to the next match, because nothing interesting happened. Oh, actually, Lawler did the whole bit from earlier. Yeah, so Lawler yeah, comes for... back out and does this again, which I thought was cute. <laughs> Crowd's still all over him, so he leaves again. No match yet. So then we go to the Steiners and the Beverly Brothers, which was easily the best match of the show and it's 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 uh it wasn't close not saying anything on the show was bad it was just it was just like eh we got a pretty good match here although at one point savage uh he says suplex instead of suplex like he's gordon sully all of a sudden yeah what was that like firing off the old suplex what where does suplex come from is that is that a solely rib it, it could be i mean Gordon would always say suplex in his commentary and it's just it's always, it's always something's always been associated with him. I don't, I don't know if Savage just did it as kind of like a either a tribute or a mocking or whatever. I mean, Gordon Shelley wasn't really he wasn't a hot button topic in April '93, so maybe it was just it was just whimsy on Savage's part. And I think everything Savage does at this point is just whimsy, unless it was like in, in, in an actual match. Com- Savage the commentator is very whimsical. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Get a nice spot where Blake power slams Rick, Rick Steiner, and uh he he. he, he he sends Rick off the ropes, tries, tries to leapfrog him. Rick catches him in a pack and out of midair, which nice spot. Yeah, I like that a lot. I like that. That was nice. 
Scott hits a high angle belly to belly on Blake. He really popped his hips on that one, and he sent him flying. Beverly's come back and get the Haas Benjamin rope hang splash move on Scott Steiner. Where the ref is too tied up to notice that the Beverly's have Scott Steiner being strangled in the corner with a tag rope, while the other one holds up Scott's legs. Remind me of the Ren and Stimpy episode with the uh, wrestling match. The referee turns his head, they use a wrench to turn Ren's skull. Every turn back around, and they stop doing it, and so forth. If they didn't finish with the flying butt pliers, then it's been a lost comparison. <laughs> well, the Frankenstein is kind of the same thing, isn't it? Oh my God, it is. Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner are lump and loaf. Although sadly, no you one mean drove a we're car. We're just pretending to fight. Apparently, nobody told the Steiners that. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever told Scott Steiner. Sadly, we missed a spot where one of them drove a car over Bob. Over Bob Beverly's face. <laughs> I love that episode so much. Because, <laughs> like, half of it is, like, almost true. It's time like, to throw the match. <laughs> Wing. Uh, uh, bang. Okie dokie, Bo. Incredible. So, so, um, so this finishes with the Frankenstein, doesn't it? It does. And there's a scary spot before them. Well, kind of scary looking. It was. Scott was feigning exhaustion from the, from being beaten down by both Beverly's. He catches Bo in a tilt-a-roll slam, but he does it in such a way where he's like falling down while he's doing it. So it looks like he, he had barely enough strength to actually get Bo up. And it, it could have been worse with a, if he, with a little less control for how he did it. But it was still a cool-looking spot. Like he, He's selling while he's doing a move. Could have ended badly, but it looked quite nice. And, and they get the hot tag of the Rick as I question why no one could do hot tags right anymore. It's so easy to do, yet nobody does it. Hot tags, hot tags are the, the a staple of tag team matches. Yeah, you pull the guy's foot. He's lunging. He's trying to stretch. I, I got to say, it was the Roadblock show a couple years ago. The one from before was, I mean, the 30, 32, where uh, it was Enzo and Cass versus the Revival in, for, in an NXT tag team match on Roadblock. And Enzo was doing like the tag formula beautifully. Selling the t- trying to get the tag, the revival, keep cutting them off, really building the drama. And I'm like, where's all this on the main roster? We need this. Those moments are brilliant. They are so underrated these days. Like a, they really a like are. a good like I I want to see more matches where it is just like the and you wouldn't do it all the time. I remember that was it. I remember it was the New Age Outlaws versus Big Boss Man and Ken Shamrock. And mm-hmm. Billy Gunn was just getting beaten down and beaten down and beaten down. Kept getting like the hope spot, but kept getting cut off. That went on for like 25 minutes until Road Dog just got out of the ring and just bashed him in the head. I think it must have been must have been Boss Man. No, no, I'm wrong. I am the wrong. It was the New Age Outlaws versus the Headbangers. And mm-hmm. after 20 odd minutes of Billy Gunn being unable to make the tag, Road Dog rolled out the ring. Got the ghetto blaster the headbangers brought to the ring and just smashed it into Mosh's face. <laughs> and it was a DQ. But it was and the commentator was like, Oh, Rodog's had enough. He had enough of waiting. Oh, that's great. I've never seen that since. Where the where the hope spot never came. And the other guy went, I'm just oh, forget this. <laughs> Brilliant. It's, it's not it is off the beaten path, isn't it? Yeah, and I like I like it when wrestling can do that, when it can subvert a little bit what you're expecting and and do the stuff that go 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 against the grade of stuff that is normally pretty solid. You know, doing a you know doing stuff like that is is one of my favorite things in wrestling. And by the same token, the oldest tricks still work. Exactly, exactly, sir. 
So we finally come to the end of the show. It's Jerry Lawler versus Jim Powers. The main event, once again, it must be stated, of the first post-mania role in history. So Lawler's Jerry come the... out, and he's doing the whole, I might go back again. And we don't know his opponent until Jimmy Powers attacks Jerry Lawler from behind. <laughs> and all night then, we've basically been waiting for Jerry Lawler versus Jim Powers. Showed us, didn't they? Do you know what, though? I have to say, Jim Powers looked amazing. He's, he's, a, he's a baby face world beater. He was. And, like, he was crisp and quick and aggressive. It was almost like he was angling for a job on the on the full-time roster again with this, with this kind of match. And I like it when guys do that, when they come out with all that fire to go, I want to get a job out of this. I'm going to just graft. And Jim Powers looked brilliant. It occurred to me at this point, as I'm watching this match, I'm like, well, where's Paul Verma at? And I realized, oh, yeah, he's about to debut as one of the, as one of the four horsemen next exactly. month. Exactly. <laughs> and these two men were once survivors of the 87 Survivor Series. And, and it was never, well, you could say power and glory was good, but I was going to say it was never that good again for either of them. No. But it was a, it was a random survival. Although that was, in my opinion, the greatest Survivor match of all time, the 20-man from 87. Oh, that big tag team battle! Yeah, I love that match. That was, yeah, that was that was a a sol a solid affair. That was, and it went on forever and ever and ever, didn't it? And there's some versions of the video where the match is like cut like halfway through to save time because it's such a network. long match. But the network has all of it. And it's like so full of strategy and creative double teams. It's fantastic. I want to see another match like that. I want to see another like tag team survivors match. They had one in 2016. They did 20 on 20. Or yeah, 10 on 10. It was, it was the Raw guys versus SmackDown guys, and although it was like half the length, it was still really good. Yeah, I, I got all nostalgic when I saw that. It was, it was like, this match is made for me. <laughs> Thanks, friends. <laughs> Savage gets a weird line during this match. And although I figured out what he was, what the pun was, it was still weird. Savage says, and I'm quoting here, I proved I've showed patience, and I'm not even a doctor. Yeah, that was it. He He got the reference a bit wrong, didn't he? When he was well, talking, because Jerry Lawler was gobbing off to him, and uh, he and, and Savage wasn't rising to it, and he said, "I, uh, I showed I have patience." As you, what was the line again? Hit me the line yeah. again. I've I proved I've showed patience, and I'm not even a doctor. That's it. Where it should have been, I proved I've got patience, and I'm not even a doctor. But even and Vince was just flummoxed by that line. He went, "Oh, oh okay," because <laughs> I. Vince, Vince is probably thinking, you know, now that Bartlett's gone, I know my commentary partner that I have now won't say anything that goes over my head. <laughs> I've got nobody else to blame now. It's <laughs> enough. It's like, oh, wait, it's just me. Now I've got to cover my tracks. So Power's getting quite a showcase here. Lola talks about how she kisses his feet. And Vince finds the idea of having feet kissed on Raw to be absurd. And I'm thinking, well, feet, sure. Other yeah, things. they're very, very weirded out by that concept. It is still weird watching commentator Vince and uh, evil boss Vince like concurrently, or just thinking of them concurrently. They are two very, very different people. Lawler counters a duck down, pile driver finishes. Yet another competitive match of someone who is a relative, relatively uh, an inconsequential performer at that time. No disrespect, Matt. No, 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 but Jim Powers really went for it. Oh yeah, that was a fun match. Really, really went I mean, for it, and it was just a nice, a nice build all night for Jerry Lawler. And you do get the vibe because then they, they they're wrapping up the show then, and 
you've got Jerry Lawler and Vince saying, oh, when we come back, I think Jerry Lawler's going to call out Savage. And then it fades to black, because I presume that's where there's an ad break. Fades back up. Jerry's in the ring. Vince says, oh, well, we're here. It's Raw. Jerry Lawler won. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Like, how awkward is all these cuts? This must have been like a headache to watch live. And this was a taped show. And it was taped. There's no reason to get the timing so badly on your ad breaks. This was taped two minutes or two weeks earlier. And and, 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 and this is what upset me because as this match is wrapping up, I, I knew the angle's coming where Lawler's going to call Savage out to set up a, the, the, the tease of feud between the two of them, which did not end up happening. But um, I'm thinking, like, wow, they didn't show the action figure ad. And then when I saw Promotion Consideration, I go, and we get the action figure ad. Oh, with Kerry Von Erich. Yes, for those of you who who haven't listened week to week, um, Kerry Von Erich passed away in February 1993, and one of his action figures is seen in this Hasbro figures commercial, this this brief 10-second uh, drop, with which has Davey Boy Smith in it, who's been gone since November, Sergeant Slaughter, who hasn't wrestled since August, and some really outdated figures in there. And... It, before Von Erich's passing in, in this timeline here, they still had they're, they're still showing this figure ad. And I told Tom, "Are they going to show it after Kerry Von Erich passes away?" And we're like, "No, they, they couldn't do that." We're now about seven weeks after Mr. Von Erich's passing, and they're still showing the same commercial with Von Erich's ad front and center, or Von Erich's figure front and center. Shocking this, behavior. This is morbid. So back from this weird moment of glib and uh, Jerry Lawler is on the mic, just mouthing off to the crowd, mouthing off to Savage. And Savage is is just sort of grinning while this is all going on and just like Mm -hmm. flicking his hands and doing all these savagey movements. Jerry Lawler says, ah, you're not going to face me. You're too afraid to face me. Uh, Walks off. Savage is just kind of stood there. I do feel for Savage at this point because a lot of guys size him up. Because he's not wrestling, he just has to go. Well, I'll, I'll get you at some point. <laughs> it, it's funny because uh, I believe Savage and Lawler probably were going to feud with one another. But does it just feel like they're Ho- building that here? Well, they are. But if you think about it, if Hogan did end up feuding with Brett, as was alleged, then Lawler would have had nothing to do. So you could have given him Savage. And I'm assuming that they don't. No, because uh, <laughs> as we all know, we didn't get Hogan versus Brett in WWE. No. So things shifted, and all of a sudden, Lex Luger becomes the Americana hero. And so I believe, if you really look at the whole butterfly effect of all this, I think Hulk Hogan and Bret Hart's whatever happened between them cost us Lawler versus Savage. And I hate Hulk Hogan even more now at this time because of that. Because <laughs> I think Savage and Lawler would have had a good time. In fact, if you go back and, and, and Google this, Lawler and Savage had a match in Memphis in 1985. Savage's last match before jumping to WWE, and it was fantastic. He can still Savage's, go. This was, that, was, that was Savage's best non-WWE match ever. Although, in, in fairness, Lawler and Savage did face off a few times in, in USWA in 93. So maybe you could have used that raw footage to hype the feud down there in Memphis. Since uh, USWA was kind of like a satellite feeder at that point for the company. But alas, we don't get that. Instead, we get told that next week it's Money Inc. versus the Bushwhackers for the tag team Spoiler championships. That. Spoiler that that match does not happen. What? 
<laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Ed oh, I was happened. ready for the return of the of the bushwhacking shield. <laughs> I could do the crowd like Roman and Dean. I checked the results. I'm like, I don't even remember that match. In fact, not only did the Bushwhackers not even wrestle on that show, DiBiase doesn't even wrestle on that show. Just browsing through this real fast, we have that's the big match for next week: IRS versus Scott Steiner. Right. And we have and we have three jobber squashes, in one of which, the jobber is a future, a future hardcore champion in WCW. One of them is a future Attitude Era tag team star. And the and in the last squash of the night, we get the debut and only match for a rather bizarre character. Ooh, I'm excited. The one and only appearance of a certain gimmick, although the portrayer of said gimmick will take on a different role after that. Let's not say who. Let's leave it there. Obviously you can check out the yes. WWE network and find out for yourself. But let's find out next week together what that might be. Uh what a mad episode of Raw. Uh, just uh, yeah, it was. It was nothing more than just Vince and Savage's exposition for what happened the night before, just spoken over some of the most random matches ever put on Monday Night Raw ever. Jim Brunzel and Jim Powers will forever go down as as guys who, who fit the category of they were on a Raw. They certainly were, and I look forward to seeing them again. Probably never. Uh, feel free to get in touch with us. We're going to do another one next week and for every week thereafter at JRH Writing. That is Justin. I am at Tom Campbell. Uh, this has been Cultaholic's Classic Raw Review. Join us. Love you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 